Matthew chapter 10 is where we are. Uh, last week, uh, we saw Jesus begin to delegate his authority to his 12 disciples. Uh, remember at this point that Jesus is doing all the work, right? He's walking around, he's healing people. He's doing all the miraculous things. Well, that is going to shift uh, because he knows that the will of the father is that he's not going to be staying here for very long. He's going to die. He's headed towards the cross and his plan is to delegate his authority to the apostles who will then uh, put the foundations of the church uh, in place. Obviously Jesus is the foundation of the cornerstone, but they are the foundations upon which we're built on their doctrine. And so Jesus is going to delegate his authority authority to his disciples. And, and we began at the end of chapter nine to see how Jesus did this. He prepared his disciples for the work of the ministry that he had called them to. And the first thing we saw is that God, uh, Jesus, he let them into, he opened their eyes to the heart of God. Listen, God did not save you to sit. I just want to put that across. He did not save you to sit. This is not the end of our faith coming to church on Sunday morning. Amen. If you're not here, you need to be here because it is part of it. Church is not in the mountains. It's where God gathers his people. It's here on Sunday morning. Okay. So don't, don't try to escape what, how God created church. This is how he created. It's the gathering of the church. And we gather together on Sundays. That's when that's our game time. And we also gather together throughout the middle of the week. That's where the church gathers. Amen. That's a new Testament example, but he didn't save you just to, just to sit, just to go to a Bible. That's not the life he has totally for you. He wants to feed you and equip you, encourage you because he wants to send you into the world um, to be his ambassadors, to be his representatives, to be his hands, his feet, his heart. And so what we're going to watch here is how Jesus took 12 ordinary people and he actually pulled them out, saved them, brought them to himself, showed him. And the first thing we're seeing here is that he showed him his heart. Remember last week when he, it says that he looked as Jesus was ministering to everybody at the end of chapter nine, he looked at them not as like a big problem to deal with. He looked at them as a sheep without a shepherd. He looked at them with a heart of compassion, right? Helpless and harassed you know, by the enemy, by their circumstances, by diseases, all these types of things. And so he had this heart, the heart of God for God. So loved the world that he gave his only son, right? There's a heart of compassion, a heart of love. God has a heart of compassion for you. Do you know that he saw you when you were helpless and you were being harmed and he reached out to you and he loved you through someone or some, somebody, right? A message. He came to you in your, in your moment of need. Amen. And so I just want to encourage you that, that we need as a church to see the heart of God. And that's really important. And so Matthew here, the first thing he records for us before Jesus delegates his authority is he sets it up by saying he showed us his heart. He, he told us when he looked upon the people, he had a heart of compassion. Do you have a heart of compassion for the world around you? Or are you kind of just fed up with it? A little bit of both. Tell you the truth. Anybody else? Yeah. Yeah. Lord, help me more on the compassion end. Amen. So the first thing we see is back there in, in, in chapter nine, verse 27, as you look at the people as sheep without a a shepherd, he had compassion on them. So pray for a heart of compassion. And then um, not only that, God isn't just, and, and by the way, God isn't, God isn't just interested in getting you to do things for him and to go places for him. 
He wants you to share in his heart for doing those things and the, and the reason why he would have you go places and do things. Amen. Amen. Yeah. Like, okay, go into church today. No, God like wants you to want to go to church. He wants you to want to praise him. He wants you to want to give to him and his kingdom and his purposes with your time, talent, and treasure. He wants you to be all in. Right. And that, and that comes by abiding in Jesus Christ. As we John 15 at one through eight, as we connect with him, as we are in relationship with him, that osmosis occurs. He gives us his heart. He gives us his life. And then we begin to pray according to his will. And that's the process we see here. These guys had been, were saved. And then they've been following Jesus. They've been learning from Jesus. And now what happens is he starts to show them his heart for what his plan is. He, he shows them the compassion he has for the people. And then as you, as we progress there in chapter nine, he prepares the disciple by, he opens their heart to the actual work of God. See the disciples are going to learn how many of us are kind of, we come to Jesus and go, okay, Jesus, your mission field is my life to do what I want. Anybody else like come to God. even though we don't say that, that's the ultimate kind of like, you know what I mean? We're kind of like, okay, God, you need to work here. And, and God's like, okay, I want you to know my heart for the people around you. I will work on you. Don't worry about that. But I want you to see the world with my eyes, see the world with my eyes. And now as you look out at the world around you with my eyes, I'm going to show you how I see it. And he gives these pictures. He's like, they're sheep without a shepherd. He says, it's a field without a harvest. That's how I see it. It's my harvest. These are my sheep. Some of them are. And I want you to see the world the way I do. I remember this in San Diego. I mean, how many of you ever grew up in a place where there's traffic? Okay. Yeah. Some of you go, oh yeah. I'm talking like eight lanes going this way and eight lanes going that way. And it stopped. Like, uh, and you're on a hill, there's hills there. And you, uh, and you're going down a valley and you look at night and you see red lights forever going like this and up and over. And you see white lights coming this way up and over and you're just stuck and you're just going, oh. and then you begin to, and then you look at that and go, how many of these people know the Lord? I just remember being young and come to the Lord and I'd go to a Chargers game or a Padres game in Jack Murphy stadium or Qualcomm, whatever they call it now. And be sitting there and look at 70,000 people just screaming and just looking at this going, how many of these people are going to be there? How many of these people do they know Jesus? Your heart just changes. You look at it as a field. You look at it as a sheep without shepherd and sure it's exciting in the moment, but you just, you've been changed because you've been with the Lord and your heart is different as you look at the world around you. Anyone else? We can't grow hard to that. And, we, and the more we connect with Jesus, the more he shows us his heart for the world around, around us. He says there at the end of chapter nine, verse 37, 38, he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. And he does another thing after, after showing them his heart and after showing them the mission field, the way God sees it, he then tells them to pray. He wants them to pray for his will to be done in that circumstance. And this is where the power of prayer actually takes place is that you see the massive need, but then he wants you to engage in the solution. He wants you to pray, get your heart spiritually ready. And so I want you to pray. You see the field, you see this huge thing. I want you to pray that God would send people in there. And then you start praying according to his will. And what happens is God out of that begins to choose 12 from among them that would actually go do it. 
See, it's those who are praying, who see God's heart, who see his plan, who see to, who are praying according to his will that God then grabs and uses. Amen. So what do you think we need to be doing? Man, spending time learning from Jesus, getting his heart, his worldview, the way he sees things. And then what happens? Man, he starts showing us a need. And then what do we do about it? We start praying and start getting discernment from God about what his will might be in that. And then what does he do? Chapter 10. And this is what happens in chapter 10. Well, after he says, yeah, chapter 10, verse one, we saw that God answered their prayer by calling out 12 from among them. Larger group praying, smaller people from among them called out to do the work. They're all part of the same mission, but there were specific people that God had in mind to be gifted, to go take care of what God had in plan here. And let me say that this is how God works, tends to work today. First, he saves us. Then we become followers of Jesus. We begin disciples. That means we're learners of him. He's changing the way we view the world. We're no longer being conformed to this world, but being transformed by the renewing of our minds. We begin to see everything through his lens. Amen. And as we abide in him, he begins to call us to prayer. And we see the gap instead of getting angry or instead of getting frustrated, we begin to pray. We begin to pray. We begin to pray. We begin to ask for God to do something. And then it gets to the point where a heart is just like, I've got to do something. Anyone there? And then you realize, oh, there's a big gap between what needs to happen and my ability to do it. Anybody have that? Well, Jesus has solutions for that too. Do you know that? Look at these guys. Who did he choose? Tax collectors, political zealots, you know, uh, just fishermen. I mean, just all these, all these different guys. And so Here's, we, we learn from him. He shows us his heart. He shows us his work. As we abide in him, we begin to pray for his will. And then he often calls us to put our hands to the plow in some way to accomplish what we've been praying for. And this is what happens here. He reveals something specific. He has called them to, and he does the same for us. And he draws us out for his purposes. And so he calls 12 of the disciples to himself in verse and verse one there. And the next thing is that what, who he calls, he equips. Remember? How many of you go, man, I want to share. I have a heart to share across the street, but I'm just not going to do it because I can't to do it. Well, guess what? What God calls you to, he's going to equip you to do it. How many of you successfully rode your bicycle the very first time? How many? Come on, savants. I want you. <laughs> oh, okay. How many of you were successful at communicating the gospel the very first time? How many of you have actually decided never to do it? Cause you might fall or you might run into someone or people might think something of you. Oh man, you're missing out. You're missing out, right? Same thing. So Jesus, he doesn't leave them hanging there. He gave them authority to do what he called them to do. Jesus will empower you to do what he's called you to do. I mean, he's not calling you and saving you and bringing you and showing you all these things, giving his heart to go, Oh, well now figure it out. He's going to go, no, actually here's the cool thing. As you abide in me and I abide in you, man, I'm going to gift you. And I'm going to empower you for the things I've called you to. Isn't that cool? I think is awesome. He gave and he gave them the authority to do what he had called them to be, to be apostles. We're not apostles. They were. And so Jesus saves them 
They learn from them. He revealed his heart to them. He shows them his plan and he calls them to pray. And then he calls them to the work that they are praying for. And then he empowers them to do that work. Pretty simple. Does this sound like good management skills to you? I'm like learning a lot. I'm like, okay, well, I got to write this down and start doing that. You know, anybody else? Yeah. He's discipling them. And then picking up in verse five, Jesus instructs them in the work that he sent them to do. I'm going to read the section we're going to go over and I'll go back and break it up. Okay. Five through 16. Let's just start in five. It says, then the 12 Jesus sent out, by the way, the first few verses names, all of them. Then the 12 Jesus sent out instructing them. And this is before he sends them out. He says, go nowhere among the Gentiles and enter no town of the Samaritans, but Go rather to the lost sheep of the house of Israel and proclaim as you go, saying the kingdom of heaven is at hand, heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse the lepers, cast out demons. You received without paying, give without pay. Acquire no gold or silver or copper for your belts, no bag for your journey or tunics or sandals or staff for the laborer deserves his food in whatever town or village you enter, find out who is worthy in it and stay there and stay there until you depart. And as you enter the house, greet it. And if the house is worthy, let your peace come upon it. But if it is not worthy, let your peace return to you. And if anyone will not receive you or listen to your words, shake off the dust from your feet. When you leave that house or town, truly I say to you, it will be more bearable on the day of judgment for that land of, uh, for the land of Sodom and Gomorrah than for that town. That's crazy stuff. So just look at the details, the detailed instruction that Jesus gives them. Just look at how he leads them. And, and while we're looking at the apostles kind of go, Lord, would you do that in my life? Maybe would you do that in my life? Maybe, maybe not the same exact, you know, way he, he's going to work in you differently. But I think God does this. He equips us if we let him. So the 12 verse five, just real quickly, the 12, he sent out instructing them go nowhere among the Gentiles and enter no town of the Samaritan. Jesus gives them a specific mission field. He gives them parameters. He gives them boundaries that will expand later, but they're starting out and he starts small. And he, and this is because he has a, he has a, God has the plan in mind. He says, I want you to stay away from the Gentiles. Stay away from the Samaritans. You're not to go minister in those areas. The Gentiles are the Greeks and the non-Jews basically. And the Samaritans were those for lack of a better word, that the half Jew, half, half Gentiles that were intermixed there in Samaria. They were involved in kind of false worship and stuff, but that wasn't, that wasn't what he was calling the apostles to in the beginning. He was calling them to a specific mission field. So Jesus gives them direction where not to go in verse six. You know, some people, you know, you come right, you come out of a background of alcoholism and all that type of stuff. And then like the Lord's like, do not go minister in bars right now. You are not ready for, you know, or whatever it might be. You know, you just need to start with this. Listen to the Lord. He has a plan. Amen. So Jesus gives them direction where not to go. And in verse six, he tells them actually where to go. Hey, this is where you are to go. You are to go to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Pretty cool instructions. The Messiah came first to the lost sheep of Israel. Listen, Ministry is not our plan. It's his will. Okay. We just want to do what he wants us to do. And he lays out things for us, parameters, things we should do and shouldn't do in scripture. So we've got some guide rails. And then within those specific circumstances, 
We seek him for his will and his peace in the midst of it. Should we, should we sell? Should we build a building? Should we not? You know, all this kind of stuff. Amen. And so Jesus gives them direction where to go and where not to go, but go to that rather to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Again, uh, Jesus came to the lost sheep of Israel. He was born a Jew to the Jews among the Jews. Amen. We know that Jesus is Jewish, right? And John 1:11 says he came to his own and his own people did not receive him. So we know that he came to the Jews, his own being a Jews. And that was what was prophesied in the old, the old Testament. It wasn't that the prophecies were given to the Gentiles who were all the prophecies given to the Jews that from among them, one would be raised up a savior, some to someone to save them from their sin. And by the way, you see that in Abraham, the promise of Abraham, that the promise would be for their people and not only for their people, but would extend eventually to everyone. Okay. So this, but right now it starts with the Jews. Um, as we read the old Testament, we know that it's prophesied, but we also know that it was prophesied that Israel would reject their Messiah. Nevertheless, Jesus is going to go to them. They're going to reject their Messiah because they had hard, blind hearts. They would crucify Jesus. Justice is prophesied. Read Isaiah 53. And so the gospel came first to those who had the covenants and the promises and the prophecies. Jesus came to his own, but as a nation, they rejected him. Keep in mind, some did believe. Amen. Because we are reading Jews writings here. Amen. Praise God. Yes. And so as we continue in Matthew, we're actually going to see a bit where Jesus is going to be talking to the nation of Israel through his parables and letting them know what was going on, that they were actually going to reject him. And we see this in his parables, like in Matthew 22 with the parable of the wedding feast and, or like in Luke, um, Luke 14, where there was a great dinner and all the people that were invited that were supposed to come, they made excuses. And as you're reading this, you know, you're going, what in the world's going on here? Jesus, what are you saying? The Jews knew exactly what he was saying. He's saying, you all are invited to the feast. You should know who I am. You are invited, but yet you're making excuses of why you will not come. And so therefore, when the master of ceremonies sees that the people who are supposed to come don't come, he turns the invitation to others and the others start going, Hey, uh, I'll come. And so you go to the lame and the prostitutes and the blind. And then it goes on beyond that to those who are in the highways and the byways, those who are beyond. And that's us. That's the Gentiles. Any of you who are Jews here, forgive me, but the Gentiles, you know what I'm talking about, right? The uttermost parts of the earth. And that was what Jesus started communicating in his parables. Um, that it was the, that the gospel went to the Jews first, but as they rejected it, God's plan would be that it went on to the Gentiles. And at this point, it's at that point when Jesus is rejected on the cross, where the nation of Israel nails their savior to the cross, that then God's plan of salvation gets extended beyond the Jews. It's not that Gentiles couldn't be saved. It's that the focus was on Israel and that now that got extended out. So you open your Bible to the book of acts. And what do you see? They're ministering in Jerusalem, but what happens is there's persecution, persecution in Jerusalem. And where do they go? Samaria, Judea 
and the gospel goes with them and they start ministering to the Samaritans and, and in Judea, which is the surrounding regions. And then we see with Paul, well, Peter goes to the Samaritans after Philip, I believe. And then, and then it extends out. Where does it go to the uttermost parts of the earth? Paul is out there. And we, we read last week where all the disciples eventually spread out and died in all these different Gentile lands, a lot of them. So God's plan was that would go out. We see that. And, and Paul, and this is what Paul explains in great detail in Romans chapter nine through 11. If you want to get extra credit, read Romans nine through 11, and you'll have a lot more questions when you're done than answers. But uh, I would encourage you to read this, but the gospel went to the Jews first, they rejected Jesus. And so now it has gone to the Gentiles and we will see again, Jesus addressed that. But let me, let me just fast forward this because it's important because it, in Matthew 28, Jesus changes the apostles mission. Okay. This is very important. You're just going to the Jews. So they go, okay, I'm just going to the Jews. Right. And then Jesus dies and he rises again and he appears to the disciples. And then he says in Matthew 28, verse 18 through 20, he says, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me again, the authority of Jesus Christ. And what does he do? Therefore go and make disciples of all nations, nations as people groups. Okay. All nations. So what does that mean? Go to the Irish, go to the Mexico, go to the Philippines, go to India, go to Egypt, go to South Africa, go to America, go. Yeah. I know they, they didn't even, you know, you know what I'm saying? The gospel is extended to all go. The mission field is now open the world and baptize them in the name of the father and the son and the Holy spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you and behold, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. What do you mean? The end of the age? Tell them coming back until the, and, and what we're in right now is something called in scripture. It's the, the, the age of the Gentiles or the church age. It's the time of the Gentiles. And when that's done, Jesus will come back and, and, and I think his focus is going to, if you if ladies studying, studying revelation and there's a lot of people who see this differently, but Jesus's focus when the church is, I believe is taken out, it gets refocused back on the nation of Israel, the 70th week of Daniel. We can talk about that later, but I did a study in Daniel. You can go back there and check it out online, but God refocuses for that seven years on the nation of Israel and God works through the 144,000 and people are brought to the Lord and they all die. They're all martyred at the hands of the antichrist and those who hate God. And it culminates in the great tribulation. There's a lot there, but you see right here in Matthew 10, they didn't know all that. <laughs> he just says what? Go to the lost sheep of Israel. How many of you, as you've grown with the Lord, you go, Oh my goodness. You've been walking with him for a while and you start to see the big picture of what God's doing. But when you started, all you knew is love Jesus, share with your neighbor, you know, confess your sin, hang out. Right. Amen. And that's sweet. And that's the foundation, but God's got the plan church. Just be obedient with what he calls you to do right now. Amen. Amen. Don't worry about the bigger picture and where you're supposed to go and all that stuff. Just today, follow Jesus. And he'll work, you know, he'll take care of your tomorrows. I like, I like what John MacArthur says about like, you know, 
the results of things. He says, you know, I just want to be concerned with the depth and I'll let God worry about the breadth, you know, just go deep with Jesus and let him worry about how that impacts out. Amen. And so, um, he calls them to minister to Israel as was prophesied. God has the plan. We just need to be obedient. Just be obedient. You know, just lean into the Lord and trust and obey. Right. And so Jesus tells them where not to go verse five, but he also tells them where to go. As we said, go to the lost in verse six, go to the lost sheep of house of Israel. Then in verse seven, he gives them the actual message to say, isn't this like, he's just like, he bullet points it for them. How many of you like need Jesus? I just wish you'd bullet point. Well, here you go. (laughs) He bullet points it for them. Verse seven. Here's what I want you to say as you go and proclaim as you go saying the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Does that sound familiar at all? Who else said that? Oh yeah. John the Baptist and, and who else after John Jesus. And now who else is proclaiming it? The disciples and guess who else is supposed to proclaim that? Oh, Hey, we don't, we don't get to do a new message. <laughs> We're just his representatives. There's power in the word of God. He's got the message down pat in Jesus's message in chapter four, verse 19 or whatever it was uh, four, 17. Jesus said, repent for the kingdom of heaven is near. It's the same thing. He's telling them to go out and call people to repent for the kingdom of heaven is at Hand. They were calling Israel to repentance, to turn from sin and to turn to God, turn from sin and to turn to God. This is a work that the Lord does in someone's heart. Amen. Otherwise we stay in our junk, you know? And so turn to God with all their mind, heart, soul, and strength. And they, you know, they didn't have a new message. They were just messengers of Jesus. Turn to God because his kingdom is at hand. It's near as some of your translations say, in other words, the kingdom of God being, when we think of the United States of America, we have a big banner. Okay. Constitution. And we, I know it's kind of messy, but I mean, you know, freedom, we could throw a few words together that kind of encapsulate what it might be to be, you know, maybe an American. Well, the kingdom of God is similar. His rule, his reign how he would do stuff, his power, his grace, his mercy, his majesty, his authority, his wisdom. All those things are here. They're manifested. Why are they there? Because Jesus Christ is walking among them. And then he's now empowering his disciples with his same authority, similar authority, because they are not God to, to now go do the thing that he was doing. So not only are the apostles given the message to say, they're giving what the message to say, Hey, turn from Jesus and start following him. Repent. But then they're actually given the power that supports the message. This is the unique ministry of the apostles. They are given the works that validate the authority as Jesus's apostle. This is amazing. Verse eight. And as you go, as you're preaching, here's the works that accompany it with, with it. Apostles, uh, heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse the leopards, cast out demons. Then he goes, you receive without paying, give without pay. They were given authority to do exactly what Jesus is doing. This is what Jesus was doing. And the field is ripe. Pray that there'd be more people in the harvest. And then he gets 12. By the way, Jesus was praying while they were praying. And now he gives them his delegated authority to be his representatives in the field. And now they are doing exactly what he's doing. 
Are they doing it perfectly? No. There's a lot of falling off the bike. Oh, why can't we cast out this demon? Oh, you have little faith. You know, he works with them. He grows them, but they were given authority to do what Jesus was doing, going about among the sheep of Israel, right? And ministering to them in the power and the authority of God as they did. And by the way, so too with us in this sense, um, first Peter chapter four. Now I have no doubt that God would, I am not a cessationist in that God can do whatever he wants, whenever he wants to him, whatever he wants, however he wants for his own glory. So I'm not, I don't want to limit God in any way. Um, but I would say that the, 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 the supernatural natural way that God works is that he gifts his church. This is evident in the teachings of first Corinthians 12 through 14 and in other places. And Peter's going to address it here. And first Peter chapter four, I would bookmark this. If I were you first Peter chapter four, verse starting in verse 10, first Peter chapter four, verse 10, Peter's encouraging the church to use the gifts that God has given them. You might be going, well, I can't do all those things. I'm not an apostle. Okay. So you're not an apostle, but guess what? We know from scripture that if you are born again, believer, the Holy spirit has gifted you. He has done that. Well, well, how it's just according to his good pleasure, whatever he wants to gift you with, he has gifted you with. And Paul goes into, you know, if your mouth don't, don't, desire to be a foot. You know, if you're a foot, don't desire to be all these things. We all need each other. Lean into the gift that God has given you is his encouragement. Use it to edify one another. And this is what Peter says. He echoes the same thing. First Peter four, he says in, in verse 10, he says, as each of you has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied graces. Listen, the Holy spirit has saved you. And he's not only saved you, he's empowered you. He's gifted you with a gift. Isn't that awesome? Do you know that? It's like, oh, well, well, how do I, what do I do with that? You use it. Well, how do you, how do I know what to, what my gift is or where to use it? You get around believers. You hang around the church and you find out how the body works and what part you are. Amen. And they validate and, and encourage you and inform you on who you are in them. And yes, we can discourage one another too, right? <laughs> we, we're, we're a family. <laughs> we got to work through things, but God has gifted you. I want you to know that. And while I might be a mouthpiece and God uses me on Sunday, I am not the end all. This gift is not the end all. It is very important in the church. He lays that out, but guess what? You are the plan. You're the major uh, operation for edification within the church. You're gifting. The Holy spirit has gifted you. We are a body. Amen? Amen. Yes. You have been gifted by the Lord. If you are indeed in him and walking with him and have received his spirit, you've been gifted, lean into that gift, use it, use it. Well, I might stumble. I might fall. I might do all these things. Yes, you might. Amen. Use it <laughs> and lean in it and grow it and craft it and let God teach you how to use it. As each of you has received a gift, use it to serve one another. Notice it's an another gift. The purpose of your gifts is for others, right? Yeah. And whoever speaks and, and he, and he just compacts all the gifts into two major sections, speaking gifts and serving gifts. 
Okay. Speaking gifts and serving gifts. That's what he does here. He says as good stewards of God's various grace, whoever speaks as one who speaks the oracles of God with the power of God. I mean, do it. And whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies. Listen, God has empowered you for the work of the ministry. He's empowered you in order. Why? That in everything, God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. Listen, the chief end of your gifts is the glory of God. So what happens when you don't use your gifts? What happens when you neglect your gifts? What happens when you don't show up? What happens when you refuse to step out in faith? Jesus is not glorified because we need each other. I need you. You need me. We need each other. We need the various gifts. I need to be built up by you. You need to be built up by me, so to speak. I'm just saying me because I'm up here, right? So to him belong the glory and dominion of ever. So speaking and serving gifts all boil down to the two. But while we might not be apostles, right? Uh, We are definitely gifted by God and we've been freely given those gifts to give away to give away. Amen. Now there's ways in which we need to grow those things and manage those things within the church. There's wisdom in that, but man, what a great plan. They were freely given and now they are to give away what they were given. The middle of verse, uh, verse eight through 10 says you've received without pay, give without pay. Acquire no gold or silver or copper for your belts, no bag for your journey or tunics or sandals or staff uh, for the laborer deserves his food. Jesus here warns them about the role of money in ministry. Don't let money be your motive. That's, that's his important thing. He repeats this several times in Matthew, right? They weren't to take the gifts that God had given them and use them for monetary gain. They weren't to go and charge people in order to preach to them. They weren't to go to charge people to heal them. They weren't to charge people to pray for them or to manipulate people into giving to them through their, through their, the gifts that God had given them ring a bell. You know, Jesus didn't charge them. Did he, (laughs) did he No, Like he freely gave of himself. He freely gave them and uh, gave to them. And he says the same way I didn't charge you. Don't go charging them. In fact, Jesus wanted them to be dependent upon God's provision, not only for their sake, but for those who were watching. This is important. Don't acquire gold or silver or copper for your belts. Don't go that in the Greek. It's don't go after gold. Don't go after silver. Don't go. That's don't let that be your motive in all this. Don't charge people. Don't bring extra clothes. Be dependent upon God. And this is, this is his, him, him sending them out the first time. Okay. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these things will be added unto you. I will take care of you. The Lord wanted them to enjoy his provision for them. Why? for their benefit and for the witness that it would be to the ones they were ministering to, you know, we've all seen what money, how money gets weird in ministry stuff. Right. And that's the distaste that the world has for so many who represent all of that. You know, we try to be very mindful of that around here and, and to really just, you know, let money not be the motive in things. Uh, listen, God will take care of his ministers. Okay. God will take care of his ministers. And that's not limited to pastors and evangelists, by the way. And this is why I want to bring this to you. It includes all who would step out into the call of God for their life. So 
That's you. (laughs) He'll take care of you as you seek first the kingdom, as you step out into the field that he's called you to do. Why? Why will he do that? Into verse 10 for the laborer deserves his food. Isn't that awesome? What's he saying? What kind of labor is he talking about? The one who goes into the field, the one who partners with God and goes after the things of God and, and, and jumps out in, in, in faith and in obedience to him. I'll take care of you. I've got you. You don't need to worry about it. You're out. I'm going to, I'm going to take care of you. You're going to deserve, you are laboring and I will make sure you're taken care of. And this is something he repeats in several different ways. They're laboring in the field for the Lord, for the Lord of the harvest. And he's going to take care of them. Amen. Now, later in Luke 22, Jesus does tell them to take provisions. You got to know that things shifted after Jesus left. He's a, you know, now you got to pick up a sword. You got to go in there and all that kind of stuff. But the principle is the same here where the Lord guides, he provides. I love that. Chuck Smith used to say that all the time. Well, the Lord guides, he provides. And it is so true. If God's guiding, he will provide. He will take care of what is needed. And by the way, um, I just want to lay this out there. And it's awkward for me to talk about a little, but this is, this is not saying that you, you don't take care of pastors and ministers and stuff. Actually, the Bible makes the opposite case. Okay. And, and that there is as, and this is, this is a, this is a biblical thing here uh, where, Paul is saying, listen, if people minister to you um, in, in spiritual matters, they should reap from you physically, makes sense materially. And that, and that was the principle here. First Timothy 5, 17 through 18, if you want to read that in first Corinthians 9, 1 through 11. And by the way, Paul in that, in that first Corinthians 9, he says, I have the right. Don't I have a right to not have to work? Don't like, don't I have a right to have a wife? Don't I have a right to, he talks about all his rights because he says, but I didn't take those rights. Make sense. So we all want to be a Paul where we don't have to do that. But in other words, Paul is making the point by saying, Hey, listen, this is the standard. Um, Peter, Paul, everybody's out ministering. You know, the church should take care of, take care of their, their leaders. Now what has happened is way beyond that. You got weird, right? Amen. Like super weird, Learjet weird. Remember, that's why I joke about it all the time. It's like, no, no, no. That's not what's going on here. Money needs to not be to the motivation. At the same time, it's like, you got to free these people up to do what they're called to do. So that's, that's the balance there. And by the way, I've been, we, my family and I've been so blessed for you, for you guys over the years. So this is not me trying to do some subtle thing. I mean, we are humbled and blessed by this fellowship. You have been biblical and thank you. And so that's, that's separate. That's not me trying to say anything. I'm just saying when you're dealing with money and ministry, things are weird. Amen. You want people in ministry who aren't motivated by money. They're motivated by a love for the Lord. They see a heart for people, a love for God's word and his will. That's what you're looking for in pastors and leaders and all those things, not power, not position, the people naturally struggle with those things, but you just want, you want a man of God, a woman of God. Amen. Yeah. And so, um, I just, I say all that to say that I want to encourage you as you step out into the field that God has called you to trust him for that provision, trust him to take care of you. He will take care of you. 
Amen. Amen. You know, we drive the cars we drive, Christine and I, because God's provided all of them in miraculous times when we've needed them. I play the guitar as I play because God has provided them miraculously at the time I've needed them for ministry. I didn't buy my guitars. I didn't manipulate people for guitars or anything like that. They just was a gift and there was a lack and I prayed and God didn't tell anybody and God worked it out. Makes sense. And you just watch God miraculously work. And I just say those things humbly because it's like, well, why doesn't he do this or that? It's like, well, this is, this is what God's given. And I just drive it till it dies. Right. You just <laughs> you keep going because it's not about all that. God just is so good. And so for you too, I just want you to know, it's like, man, you have a need in your life. A lack, seek him, ask him. Don't forget to ask and watch his strong hand in your life. Take care of you. Amen. Amen. Yeah. Don't, don't, don't need to store up and worry about all this stuff. I mean, be, be wise in, in the times we live in, but you know what I'm talking about. Don't live in fear, live for the kingdom. And so freely give what you've been given freely give. That's what he's telling them. So Jesus gives them instructions. Let's just go through these last ones. They freely give what you've been given. So unlike the world. Amen. Verse 11 and whatever town or village you enter and find out who is worthy in it and stay there until you depart. And as you enter the house, greet it. And if the house is worthy, let your peace come upon it. But if it's not worthy, let your peace return to you. And so as they entered a village, they needed somewhere to stay. Who were they to partner with? They were to partner with godly people. They were not to partner with unbelieving people who were hostile to the gospel, who were immoral and all these types of things. They were to line up with godly people, seek out those who are worthy. That's what they're talking about. People who love God and who have integrity and showed their love for God by hospitality. Stay with them. Make sense. That's what he's talking about. Uh, Partner with them. It's important that, and this is important in, in our attempt to reach the lost, the, the, the church often partners with ungodly, unworthy. And I don't say unworthy. We're all unworthy in that sense, but it muddies the message. Make sense. You're like, Oh, well, aren't you holy and set apart? Yes. God did that. Don't muddy the message. Like it, the message is more important than, than appealing and how we do that stuff. Yes. Show kindness and love, but don't be unequally yoked. The church is not going to go gravitate and grab onto ministries that are just doing good works that don't share the gospel. We're not going to do that. We are gospel centric. We're word centric. There's a reason the message has to be clear, not only in what we say, but in how we do things too. So same, same with us. Don't partner in the ministry with Unbelievers or people who are hostile to the gospel. It's not going to work. And by the way, he's saying here, and when they enter the, so, so basically go find that person, partner with them, stay there, let them minister to you, let them minister to the love of God. You minister to them in spiritual things. It'll be good. And, and as they entered the house, they were to greet it. This is not a charismatic weird thing. He's not saying greet the house. Hello house. He's saying, greet the household. That's the, <laughs> the house, the where people live, right? This is, that's what he's saying. Greet the household, right? Say hello. And, and the, the people in the house. So you might have someone who's open and then you come to their house and you sit there and you, and you, and it's a Jewish thing. Shalom. You say peace, right? 
and they see peace back right to you. And then you walk in and you realize, man, this is a hostile environment. Half the kids are wanting to kill you while mom, while mom, who's a faithful, you know, servant of God, she's praying. She says, come on, stay, you know? And it's like, okay, use wisdom here. And, and by the way, so you enter the house, let your peace rest upon it. And if not, take it back kind of thing. And by the way, this isn't like you walk in and go, hmm, this isn't five stars, you know, hmm, you know, <laughs> no, that's not what he's talking about. None of that kind of stuff. You're looking for godly people with a godly house and hospitality that's shown in the love of Christ. And so Jesus wants his disciples to be yoked with godly people. And so let your peace be upon it. And again, that Middle Eastern back and forth there, but with those who are not godly, unworthy, that is, there's no peace between light and darkness. There's no peace. And we know that. Sometimes when we try to partner with people who don't know the Lord, there's no unity. Even though we try and try and try, there's no unity. There's no peace. And so withdraw your peace. And so that those... And Jesus says, find, you know, find worthy, godly people. That's the point there. In verse 14, Jesus begins to instruct them about opposition. And if anyone will not receive you or listen to your words, shake off the dust from your feet. When you leave that house or town, truly I say to you, it'll be more bearable on the day of judgment for the land of Sodom and Gomorrah than for that town shaking off the dust of your feet. Uh, some commentators say that like when Jews traveled to Gentile lands and they were coming back, they'd shake their feet off when they came back to Israel kind of thing. Like we don't want to have any part of you unclean people. Okay. Now that's, that's just kind of the commentators in the times, right? Everybody's not all woke. Okay. So um, back in the day uh, or a cordial even for crying out loud. I mean, there was a lot of hostility going on and there still is in the world. Do you know that? But the idea of being disassociated with them because they were unclean. And so Jesus is kind of taking that picture of, Listen, people who reject the gospel, who reject me, who reject you, they're the unclean ones. Make sense? If they're hostile towards you and all these things, don't partner with them. Actually leave. If, they, if there's a hardness of heart and they're just done, shake, your, shake the dust off of your feet. And this is a symbol of God's rejection of those people by his messengers, the apostles, those households, those cities that rejected him. They were to, they were to, in, and say, you know, they gave him the chance. They witnessed to him. They ministered to them. All those things. They said, no, forget it. Hard hearted. It was a closed door. They shook off their feet and they left. So to reject the apostles and their message was to reject God and his message. They were tied one and the same. And the Lord Jesus says some scary words in verse 15. Check them out as we close. Truly, I say to you, it will be more bearable on the day of judgment for the land of Sodom and Gomorrah than for that town. Genesis 19, Sodom and Gomorrah. We know about that. The plains of the city of Shinar, maybe, or I can't remember exactly. It's, it's in between Israel and Jordan right there. And the, by the way, the Dead Sea is. So Lot had, Abraham was there and then Lot went and lived in the city. And apparently he was vexed by what was going on, but their sin was so great that the cries went up to God. It was so bad and there were no righteous in, in, the, in that whole city. And so God had to judge it. It was full of, homosexuality, homosexuality and no kids where they tried, where the men of the city sought to rape an angel. I mean, it was just out of control, just lawlessness. And Lot was giving his daughters over. It's just the whole thing was downhill. We look at that and we go, man, that's just crazy. And it's like, wow, that's not too far off these days. 
And, and God burned that city to the ground and killed everybody. After Abraham interceded for that city, for the righteous and all this type of stuff. And I'm not throwing stones at that. You know, I'm not sitting there going, you know, casting judgment. This is what God did. And Jesus is making a point that if he did that with them and it's going to be on the day of judgment, the day when those people will be judged, they got the physical death part down, but then there's the great white throne judgment where they stand before God. And that's eternal one way or the other. Right. He says on that day, it's going to be more bearable for that city and those people who were doing those things than for those who rejected the apostles walking through their city. Whoa. That's crazy. I I know we like to, I'm not minimizing Sodom and Gomorrah, but I mean, what about this? Anybody else? Doesn't that little strike terror into the hearts have, have what happened to those people? What happened to Capernaum and all those plain, those, those towns that Jesus will pronounce woes upon and all that stuff. It's going to be more unbearable for them in the day of judgment than Sodom and Gomorrah because they had Jesus Christ walking among them and they had the apostles there working the miracles and doing all those things. And yet they were hard hearted towards God. God is just when he judges. And there are varying degrees of judgment and punishment. Don't think one size fits everything. It is more bearable for Sodom and Gomorrah than for the people who reject that. That tells you that there's varying degrees of judgment. Just as there are varying degrees of rewards. God is just. So those who had Jesus in their midst and the apostles in their midst and yet rejected the gospel, a greater judgment than those who did not church is I'm not I want to say this humbly. We, we center this fellowship around and we preach the message of the apostles. We preach, preach the message of Jesus Christ. It's the same message yesterday, today, and forever. The prophets pointed to Jesus. The apostles pointed to Jesus. Jesus proclaimed what the father sent him to do. We, we point to Jesus, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. We preach the good news of Jesus Christ. Good news. What do you mean? Good news? Because there's really bad news. Unquenchable torment and fire coming for those who reject God, but God in his love and his mercy sent his son before that day would come. And he saves people like you and me unworthy who were guilty of all these things and more. And he sends us into the field to proclaim the mercy of God in Jesus Christ, not a way, the way Jesus is the way exclusive, narrow as narrow can be, but arms wide open, arms wide open, calling to sinners to come to him. Amen. That is his heart. He loves, he loved to death. John three thirty five through 36, the father loves the son and has given all things into his hand. Whoever believes in the son has eternal life. Whoever does not obey the son, notice obey and belief are synonymous there. Whoever does not obey the son shall not see life, but the wrath of God remains on him. Wrath remains. 
it's important that we don't take the cues of the culture around us in our messaging, but rather from the Lord and his word. Do not muddy the waters. Expect people to reject Jesus. He did then they did then they will now don't give people false assurance. Don't give people a false message. Don't give people false hope. Speak the truth in love. The church does no service to the world. When we muddy the waters with a watered down gospel, which is no gospel at all. Read the book of Galatians. It is in fact that people, it's a fact that people reject Jesus Christ, but let's be faithful messengers. Amen. Let's be faithful messengers. And, 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 you know, we were the harassed and the helpless. Amen. And yes, people were compassionate and kind and long suffering with us. We need to be the same. Amen. We need to be not so quick to shake off our feet and dust. We're not apostles. But nevertheless, man, we hold the truth. Jesus loves and he wants to love through you. We'll leave the judgment up to him, but at the same time, the message is clear, calls all men to repent and believe. You know, we're living in a culture where the culture wants you to celebrate and to embrace what Jesus Christ died to save men from. They want you to do that. And anything short of that is <laughs> it's heresy from a worldly perspective, looking at us. If you don't embrace everything that the world and it's getting exponentially just more crazy as we go. Just hold fast. Hold the line. Just stay tight with Jesus. Continue to share the truth in the midst of darkness. We don't know what God's going to do. And so, you know, if, if you're someone or if you're listening, if, if you have yet to respond to God's call for you to repent, today's the day. Turn your heart to Jesus, confess your sin and, and, and receive his love for you, knowing that Jesus Christ has the authority, not only the authority, he is the desire to cleanse you from all unrighteousness. He took it upon himself on the cross that you would be white as snow, white as snow, clean, totally clean before God cleansed from the inside out, not an outside religious, but an inside out something that men can never do. All a religion in the world can never do. Jesus wants to change you from the inside out. And he does this by his spirit who comes to a person's heart, convicts them of sin and draws them towards his grace and truth. And a person goes, you're right, God, I am who you say I am. I'm guilty before your throne. Forgive me. And God at that point is not going to go, Oh, well do 50 pushups. What's he going to do? Boom. And he's been drawing you the whole time. So awesome. 
and then you are saved. And then he teaches you about himself and he shows you his heart. And then he shows you his plan. And then he calls you to pray and he calls you to serve and he empowers you to do it. And he instructs you in, in that service. And he tells you where to go and where not to go. And he gives you the message and what to say, and what not to say. He tells you what to do and what not to do, what to look for, what to avoid and how to deal with opposition. As he sends you out into the world, he saved you from, you know, Jesus was their shepherd and he is yours and he will be faithful in what he has called you to. Amen. Lean into him this morning. What pastor has God called you to? You might be going, I have no clue. Time to abide. Time to abide. Just lean into him and abide. What field of ministry is he putting on your heart? You might not be the apostle, but you might be the prayer support or the financial support or the hands that actually help in the midst of that. Amen. And trust yourself to him. Let him lead you in the path that he's prepared for you to walk in before the foundations of the world. Amen. And watch him work. Father, we come before you and we love you. And we thank you that we've been able to marinate in your word and your truth. Lord, you do all the heavy lifting. I'm so thankful, God. And I just pray that you do the heavy lifting in this church that at the end of the day, we would be more and more of people who step out in faith and are less concerned with us, but more concerned with others and your glory. And we would watch you continue to do increasingly so a, a mighty work through this place and through your church in this valley and beyond God. We love you, Lord. And we pray for your glory and your will to be done. In your name, amen.